Okay, so if you have been a part of this class already, you know that we have been talking about the core values of this congregation. If you didn't know we had core values, then we're going to talk a little bit more about those today. First of all, I need, is Kelly here? He stepped out. Just want to thank Kelly for picking up the class two weeks ago. And for Mike last week, Mike isn't here either, Trina, is he? Is, he's somewhere? Okay, then I'll do all the thank yous later on and get to that. But for those of you that are here, if you're new to this class or if you have not, if you're visiting us, then it's by way of introduction. We are making some, or we are doing a review this fall period of the core values, what we call about the core values of this congregation. This slide says, and it sits there quite often, this heading, the Calvary Church of Christ, assuming, we're making an assumption, assuming God's word as our source of guidance in all things, we hold these core values as essentials that must shape who we are individually and as a church. And what we've been talking about up till now is this congregation's reliance on prayer. It's not that we are always praying. We would like to be, and we talk about prayer a lot. It's not as though we've got prayer perfectly down pat. It's the fact that we see reliance on prayer as being critically important in our relationships and in what we're attempting to do in this place. The active involvement of the Holy Spirit, an overall atmosphere of grace, continual dependence on Scripture, and growing personal relationships with God. And the discussion of this morning is intentional discipleship and every member of the Lord's body is a minister, being a minister. And if you were here last week, you heard Mike give a fantastic presentation. Mike still isn't here, so I still have to give him thanks later on. And Kelly, you're back now. Thank you very much for picking this up two weeks ago before you went away. We had to do some juggling to get some um, get this put together for uh, for this full class. But last week... Mike made a tremendous introduction of this from a scriptural standpoint of intentional discipleship and every member being that of the Lord's body being a minister. Now, if you're visiting us and you're not going to be here next week, I'm going to tell you that 8 and 9 are serving and reaching people inside and outside the church in the expansion and growth of the kingdom of God. Those are the nine core values of this congregation. But we're not talking about those today. When I listen to Mike's presentation last week and thought about what we've been doing up till now, I thought this week for me, I can't, I I mean there's lots that could be added to what he said last week, but I really thought he captured what was going on in this, in these two topics, these two core values. And so I thought what I'd like to do is go back and kind of consider this word. And that is everything that we've been talking about up till now and everything we're going to talk about requires intentionality. It, it, it's one thing to say these are the core values of the congregation, but unless, unless it, we embody it, unless we take it on, unless we act on it, it's nothing. It, it's absolutely meaningless. And so what I wanted to talk about this morning was is this word, intentional, intentional discipleship, but to pull it out a little bit and talk about intentionality. And now that Mike is here, I can thank him for the fantastic job you guys did last week. Thank you, not only for doing it, but I thought it was a tremendous presentation. I got a chance to listen to it, and thank you, Mike. No, (laughs) no, I thought, thank you, Lord, 
that there's a new member of the congregation who speaks fast, who runs over time, and just cannot get it all out. I really, really appreciate you very, very much. No, thank you. <clears throat> and excuse me, because I'm sorry, but I'm suffering from a cold, and I might need to sip every now and again. <clears throat> so although we're talking about intentional discipleship, Let's just look at this word as an adjective. Intentional, intent, intentional, intentionality talks about something done on purpose, something deliberate. It's something that you've not only assented to, and there's a big difference between that idea of assenting to something. Agree, I agree with that, but I don't do anything about it. That is not intentional. It is assent, and there's a huge difference Synonyms would be things like conscious, intended, planned, meant, studied, willful, interesting word, willfully done, purposeful, done on purpose. And so the question is, why? What, what's this difference? Why, why would you be intentional about the core values of this congregation? And I just want to pull back for a moment and think about you know, if you lift it up to 10,000 feet and look down on here, you'd see a rooftop. And there's thousands of rooftops. And there's bricks and mortar. And a group of beings, a group, a group of what we would know as human beings, two-legged creatures with brains, have walked here, driven here, come here, and we are a group. And we're a group that one of hundreds of groups that will gather today, not just what we'll call churches, but there might be committee meetings, there might be government meetings going on, there could be things going on with the remembrance. We call ourselves a church. That's how we identify ourselves. And we say, well, what is this group of people about? If you just walked in here off the street and knew nothing about us and said, we have these core values that we live by, That's what we are. We're here for a reason, not just because of the refreshments. And so, as we look at the question, why would you act in a way more than assent to the core values of this congregation, of this meeting of people? Why would you do it? What would be your driving force? So you would do it for drawn by the Holy Spirit? Okay. So, and I'm not disagreeing with this. I just want to pull it out. So I'm saying to you, why, why would you do more? Because there's a bit of a problem with these core values. Let me maybe digress for a moment. There's a problem with our belief statement and there's a problem with our core values. Any idea what that might be? Why might I say there's a problem with them? My limited experience with a whole bunch of different organizations, non-profit, for-profit, I find uh, core values tend to be... Um, they're, they're thoughtfully, carefully worded to look good on paper and sound really nice, but functionally speaking, they get put in the uh, you know, sock drawer before you go to work. When you go to work, you actually live by a whole different set of values. 
Right, maybe they, they kind of have some relationship to those core values, but sometimes they end up being too wordy or too complex or yep. uh, not actually their, what I would call aspirational values. Like, in our best selves, that's who we would want to be, but really this is how we live. That, for whatever reasons X, Y, and Z. So I would say maybe... So that captures very much one side of it, Mike. So, so they are ideals in some way. They're written in idealistic language. But who wrote them? Who did? So, and, I, and that's, it's great that you added, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be difficult in a sense. Of, so what Steve said was people, but then he said leadership, then he said probably leadership. And so what that tells me is that you're not quite sure. And that's perfectly fine. That's a, that's a great answer. How many of you put your hands up were part of writing this document? Yeah. Maybe half a dozen. And so that is a fundamental problem with this and with all mission statements. All mission statements, because one, they are written in, they are, they are, what's the word? Wordsmithed. If you've ever sat through a committee meeting trying to do that painful thing. And I think these were all written by Bud. Ultimately, were they written by Bud? It's got your, it's got your fingerprints all over the final work on this. Because they are beautifully written and they're articulate. And I think between Bud and, I don't know, and John maybe, I, but I don't know. That's what I, and Kelly, I think Kelly and Bud. But the point is, we wouldn't disagree with them. But the first thing that we do is we assent to them. And assent doesn't move anywhere until it becomes intentional. Until, it, until, until we embody it and we say, not only do I agree with it, but I'm going to do it. So if, you, if you're in Boness right now, Boness has had all of its traffic patterns changed and stuff like that. It's, it's been a dog's breakfast all summer. And I assent to it, but I don't necessarily agree with it all. Now I've got to decide, am I going to be intentional about it? Am I going to move in a change of behavior to it? And so we ask this question, why? Why do we do these things? Why will you and I engage in intentional discipleship as ministers or any of these values within this group of people, this group of humans that has gathered in this place in Marlborough? And I think it will be because we believe. But the question is, what do I believe? What do I believe? Kelly asked a question in first service about spirituality. And, and I thought, what do I really believe about spirituality? And I need to ponder it. And the same thing with belief. We like to, we, we articulate idealisms. But truly, what do I believe? So I thought we'd go back to this position here. We have, and I know that each morning, every Sunday morning, you come in here, you carefully inspect this that is on the wall, just beside the sound booth. You read it, you affirm it, you kiss your finger, put it on the hand, and said, yes. We have a belief statement, but it's not 
a concept original to us. Because why we have these core values is because of our belief statement. That's what they stem from. Belief statement. How are we going to approach our belief statement through our core values? So, I'm glad that... that It's interesting how when you prepare classes and stuff like that, different people flash in your mind as to who's going to be able to answer or respond or maybe you're even speaking to or maybe you need help from. But Dave, unfortunately, you're on the hot seat. So Dave Bailey is truly our... But he's the, uh, the elder of. Richie's also in the back. They are, are two historians, if you didn't know that. They love history. They know lots of history. And I'm going to put you on the hot seat. What happened in Nicaea in 325 AD? Any guesses? Truly, this is a, they, they were not prepared for this. Just hold on, Steve. Give, let me give them the benefit. Of just, <laughs> so. they, wrote a creed. they wrote a creed. Dave? That's right. So, one, they wrote a creed, and Dave's told us who it was. It was a council. It was a group of bishops that were called the Council of Nicaea. To it. And Steve, do you want to add to that? I thought, Dave, isn't that where they agreed and what books went in the Bible? Well, that may have happened too. That may have happened too, but no, Kelly's shaking his head. Mm, no. Um, <laughs> one, one point to Kelly, one point to... No. Um, but, it, but it was around that time. No, you, what you are correct in saying, it was around the third century that the, that the canon of Scripture started to form into a specific book. What happened in Nicaea, which is in present-day Turkey, we get... So, so just think of this. 300 years after the time of Christ, there was a group of bishops that came together. You can only imagine what happened that first 300 years. You know, the, 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 the unbelievable change that had gone through the, the middle part of our world. And this group of bishops came together because there was a challenge. Now, I can't, Kelly could probably explain to you exactly what it was going on. It was about uh, um, uh, Arians and people challenging the, uh, the divinity of Christ and a host of other things. But they, so they wanted to basically say, look, we, this is what we believe. And they established what is known as the Nicene Creed in 325. In 381 it went to Constantinople. Another council came together and it was modified because they found that the first one didn't quite do the trick. They needed to emphasize certain points of of what they believed. And they wanted to say this is the belief of the church as we are representing it, the church of Christ. And in doing so, they established the Nicene Creed, which is still the central formulated creed of all the major Christian denominations in the world. Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, you name it, Anglican, world over, this is the foundation of what they believe. So, it came from the First Council of Nicaea. We've already said that. First Council followed by all these different debates. And so, I know because I thought you'd be interested, and I'm sorry because, as is always, time is precious. But this is what the contemporary, this is not exactly how it would have been written. It's been contemporized. But this is what the Nicene Creed in 325 AD, they wrote this. 
They wrote one of these, and this is what they say. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God of God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary, and he became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in the fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken throughout the, through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And before you get all quickly hung up on the word Catholic in this presentation, the word Catholic means universal, not the Catholic church. That happens to be the same, but it means universal. But that... Those words were written 1,700 years ago as a belief statement. Every morning, every, every Sunday, okay, every Sunday, okay, I grew up in the Anglican church. Same thing. It just is, 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 that's the world over that is there. Belief statement helps draw people together in what they believe. So, but really, what do we believe? Really? If we were, if we went about our, our lives and we had a third party observe us for six months and come back and report to us with no knowledge, of what was going on and they reported back to the congregation say we've observed you 300 people we've observed you from Monday to Sunday for the last six months um, you talk about believing in these things would they find those th- would that be the evidence what do I believe and so I thought it would be of value in the time that we have to step back from our core values and just be reminded as we work through them of our belief statement. And it fits right back in in sync with the core values we're talking about. So here's what we believe. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to ponder because I've changed this all to the first person. And interestingly, even the churches worldwide have struggled with they've had it in the in the plural, in the we form, we believe, the communal. But they've also written them in the I form, the singular, the me. So as I go through this, I'd like you to ponder, because if you consider yourself a member of this congregation, you can word these words in your mind absolutely word for word. And if you don't agree with them, or if you, didn't, if you don't agree with them, you will struggle with what we do in this place. If you believe differently, and that's, you're absolutely entitled to your beliefs. But you will find this here. It says, I believe in God. As he has revealed himself in history, in Jesus Christ, and in the Bible. One God, in three 
co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is the creator of the universe and the giver of life, the most central attribute in his eternal existence being love. I believe that. I believe in the historical Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. That he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he will return to bring his believers to heaven, the home that he is now preparing. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, written by man through God's inspiration. But I believe that, that somehow this book is of God. We believe, and I believe, salvation is God's free gift to us. And you might say, as a visitor, salvation? What are you talking about? What is salvation? Well, I believe that God's free gift to us is that he delivers us from harm. Through life and in death. I believe every person believing in Jesus Christ is to repent of their sins, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, to be baptized by immersion in water, to live a life committed to Jesus Christ as outlined in the New Testament. And therein, that last line, we get an introduction to our core values. A life committed to Jesus Christ. I believe that those who are saved through Jesus Christ will be with God forever. This is called heaven. And I believe there is one church, universal, but it's made up, and it is made up, of all those who have been added to the church by God as his saved children. And it doesn't say that here, and I'm adding my own belief to it, to say, and it doesn't matter whether I think they're saved or not, as to whether or not they are saved. I believe in the importance and the sacred nature of the Lord's Supper. This communion, which we share each week during our assembly, is a memorial and a proclamation of the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't want to in any way, in any way, take away all the things that went on yesterday to honor our fallen soldiers and fallen men and women throughout all time. But we all face the same destiny. We may not die as soldiers, but we will all die. And the honor that we give to humans 
is praiseworthy and laudable. But consider how we memorialize each Sunday, how you and I take communion. Is it with that somber, worshipful proclamation that we desire? I believe, we believe, in the necessity of growth through discipleship. I desire that every Christian, every one of us, progress in his or her Christian journey towards more of a Jesus-like character, a deep relationship, deepening relationship with God, loving service, making sacrifices for the growth of God's kingdom, sharing Jesus with others. I believe, we believe, giving financially is a key factor in our spiritual growth. And our growing confidence in God, which enables us to accomplish our mandate of making disciples. And I seek to demonstrate a spirit of unity, and we seek to demonstrate a spirit of unity within our church as we follow Christ, so that with one heart and mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we do. And it may be a while since you've read that, and you may not have even known that that was written beautifully here, and it's scrolled for any to see. And it's in our website and so many other places. But that is this group. So the question arises, so what? I can give assent to these things, which really is what each one of us does by considering ourselves a member of this congregation. We assent to this. We don't disagree with it. We assent to it. So what? We believe. It's our belief statement. But then we've come up upon the brother of Jesus or the so-proclaimed brother of Jesus who says this simple line, you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You see, when we just assent, we may assent to something different, but we're no different to the demons, to the degree, to the level of our belief. So we ask the question, so what does all this have to do with engaging in international discipleship and ministers or any of these core values within this group of people as we meet here in Marlborough? We have to ponder our response to it. You see, each week we've looked at this line, assuming God's word as our source of guidance in all things. 
And so we cannot, and God's word doesn't have a desire for us. Even the Lord's brother says, if you just believe what's in this book and you don't do anything about it, if you don't live it intentionally, if you don't respond to it, you're no different to the demons, is what James is telling us. And we turn, we seek God's word. Now some people today, many people, it's quite a common mantra these days to see the Bible. It was written by a bunch of old men a long time ago, put it together, really, can you really believe that stuff anymore? Well, certainly they did in Nicaea 1,700 years ago. They believed in it big time. And all through the centuries, this belief has been made. It's, it's different. Sometimes it's shifted. It's, it's zigged and zagged. But the common thread, the common thread of the Nicene Creed, I believe in God. I believe in the Lord Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the need to be intentional from that belief lives on. And so we find the book of James speaking to us. And this is what it says. <clears throat> I was going to put this up, but I thought you'd listen to me more than... If, if you're, you're all reading at different speeds, this way you've got to unfortunately put up with my accent for a little longer. Listen to the writer. Two passages. Same passage written twi- read twice. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Like, let's talk about this. I don't know what James was like, but you just get the sense. It's, okay, guys, come on. Friends, just tell me what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a, sa- a faith save them? Just suppose for a moment a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Or the most common mantra which we so have to avoid, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person, James says. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was what made, was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Or in a more contemporary language, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but you never do anything? 
Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can do more. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God and then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good is it? What God does it, what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that the works are the works of faith? The full meaning of belief in the scripture sense Sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. Isn't that mesh of believing and acting that God Abraham named God's friend? Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by a faith fruitful in works? And the second reading on that was from the message. And so we find ourselves talking about core values. You see, you take the I believe statements and then say, well, how are we going to act these out? And one of the things we're going to do is act in intentional discipleship and recognize our individual role as ministers within God's church. Who can we go to? Well, in a simple manner, in this congregation, our resources would be Kelly and his staff, the elders, small group leaders. If you've not looked at our website, our website has a lot of resources on it. Our library, fellow members, the point is that you and I have the responsibility. We have the responsibility. It's not, it's not the elders' responsibility or the minister's responsibility to come shoulder tap us which is so common today I've got to go and shoulder tap people because they're not responding we need to shoulder tap we need to be shoulder tapping Kelly and the elders and and the different people within the congregation who might be able to give us an answer and don't stop with one person gather more Maybe maybe build three or four people resource that you can go to to help you in your spiritual journey of intentionality so that in the end 
we live within the core values of what we commit to in temporal discipleship and that every member of the Lord's body is a minister. Next week, the eighth, Kelly will be introducing the eighth core value, that being serving and reaching people inside and outside of the church. Would you pray with me just for a moment and we will dismiss. Dear God in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Father, we just quieten our lives before you. Completely ungrasping what we've just said. That we can close our eyes and we can bow our head and we can talk to the creator of the universe. That we can even approach you We recognize, Father, that we should approach you in complete fear. And yet, you've given us the opportunity and the right to approach you in confidence. We pray to God that as we consider our belief in you, that we will be intentional in our actions before you and that we will serve you every day of our lives on earth as best we can as part of your church this we pray in Jesus name Amen thank you for your attention next week same place same time